And if you would, please turn to John's Gospel, chapter 6, page 755 in the Church Bibles. John's Gospel, page 755 in the Church Bibles, chapter 6. In just a moment or two, I'm going to begin reading in verse 35. Now, these are the words recorded for us by John after Jesus had just fed 5,000 men and women and children and all kinds of people, as you would suspect, had all kinds of questions for Jesus, and they were seeking him out. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Amen. If you would just bow with me, let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to sing to you and listen to your word read and We ask, God, that you would please bring honor to your name, that you would bring salvation to your people. Please, God, give to me the much-needed help that I need to speak and that we all need to listen. And may your grace be given to really understand and to love and enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Show us, God, your glory, please, then. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, I've reached the age and stage in my life where I find myself this Christmas season season, thinking a whole lot about my childhood. Not sure why it's happening. I, I have my thoughts about that. And as a child growing up, I didn't live a perfect life. I did many bad and terrible things. I still do. I regret them all. But I did have good parents. They, they weren't perfect. No parents are. We, we shouldn't expect that from our parents. But I am certain they did their best. And I've been thinking about my childhood days. And I can't get this one little scene out of my mind. It's when my dad he gave me some money to go to the movies And see the movie, Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, it wasn't the first showing. It was a re-release at our local theater. And if you know anything about the movie, you know that it's basically a rock opera. It played on the stage first, and then later on it was made into a movie. And it's based on a very loose telling, a very loose telling from the Gospels on the last week of the life of Jesus Christ on this earth. There's no spoken dialogue at all, so the whole thing is set in song. Now, here's why I begin this way. There's a scene when Mary Magdalene, not Mary the mother of Jesus, but Mary Magdalene is watching Jesus sleep, open air, 
around the campfire with the other disciples, and she begins to sing. Now, be mindful, this woman, Mary Magdalene, lived a very difficult and tormented life. She lived, the gospel tells us, under the dark powers of hell. She did many terrible things, and I imagine she had many terrible things done to her. And into her life steps this Jesus, and he rescues her. He restores her. He forgives her. He makes her whole. He gives her true freedom. He gives her real peace, not some fragile peace that is always bending to circumstances, true peace, and she's changed, and she knows it. And Andrew Lloyd Webber, he's the writer of the song I'm about to quote from you. On some level, he gets this, and I'm beginning to understand that moment a bit better. So here's what Mary Magdalene sings, the first part at least, as she watches Jesus sleep open air around the fire. Maybe you know this. She sings, I don't know how to love him, what to do, how to move him. I've been changed, really changed. And these past few days when I've seen myself, I seem like someone else. I don't know how to take this. I don't see why he moves me. He's a man. He's just a man. And I've had so many men before in very many ways. He's just one more. You know what I'm prepared to tell you this Christmas Eve? I think that was a very beautiful moment because it was a very honest moment. And you know, if a person doesn't turn too religious on her words, you can understand what she was trying to say. I think what she was trying to say is, here I am in all my fallenness and brokenness, and there he is, the bread of life, John chapter 6, verse 35, and all his goodness And he says a person will never go spiritually hungry or thirsty again with him. He's completely filled my soul. And by his good graces, Mary says, he's rescued me. And I'm not sure what to do because I am different now. I am different. And so she says, I don't know how to love him, what to do, how to move him. Now, I want you to think on that for a moment. And I want you to add to that the hundreds, maybe even thousands of different religious messages which come to people day in and day out, especially this time of year, saying, here's the truth, saying, that's the real Jesus, saying, go this way and do this. I was Googling something in the context of a sermon prep a few weeks ago. It was a pretty simple question. I thought I got eight completely different answers to a question that I thought was pretty simple. So you put all those messages side by side. You put all those Jesuses which are presented to us side by side. Sometimes they don't match up. There is a significant difference. And any thinking person would understand this. And we're talking about issues of eternal life. Life and death issues. There was a classic Peanuts cartoon. Remember Peanuts, Charlie Brown, Lucy Linus? And there was one cartoon where Charlie Brown is holding up a sign that said, Christ is the answer. And further down the page, Linus was holding up another sign that said, what is the question? (laughs) So I find myself saying, yeah, this idea of I don't know how to love him, I don't know what to do, could be a response many honest people have. And maybe you're here tonight and you enjoy all the Christmas story and, and, if you would, the pageantry of it all. I mean, who wouldn't? And you may like the feelings of the songs and the gifts around the tree. Most would. I do. And when you set apart just a bit of the Christmas story from the rest of the story of Jesus Christ, 
you, you may have yourself a very merry little Christmas. Remember that movie? It was 1948. Judy Garland was in the movie, Meet Me in St. Louis. And it has the line, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Do you know what the original line was? They changed it for the movie. It was, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. <laughs> and so like that can't, actually it was Frank Sinatra. No kidding, that changed the, but anyway. So you take the Christmas story, the part that's kind of ooey and gooey and nice. And then you add to it the rest of the stories, things like the slaughter of the innocents a few years past his birth. And then Jesus' words about sin's penalty and Jesus saying, I am the bread of life and you can't have eternal life in heaven with God without me. And then the crucifixion and all the blood that was shed for sin. Many are like, man, that is so long ago and I can't put that all together. And they might express it in different ways, but all they're saying in some ways is, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to love him. I don't know what to do with him. But however we express it, because God has set eternity in our hearts, it's not easy for many people to make sense of Christianity. And so for some, Christianity is just like this giant jigsaw puzzle. And if you lose the box cover with the picture on it, and all you have is those bits and pieces, you can't put it all together. And then someone like me comes along and with God's help begins to hopefully put the pieces of the puzzle together. And Jesus Christ isn't the strong man we were hoping for. He wasn't, he wasn't the kind of guy we were hoping for. He, he's, he's not going to make us a superstar on earth. We're not going to win everything now. He's not the strong man. But he is the God man. He's the only Savior God offers. And I can tell you by experience, he is good. He is, if your Bible's open, you'll see this, John chapter 6, verse 35, he's the bread of life. Same verse, he'll satisfy your deepest longings and fill the hungry in spirit with good things. Verse 37, he's gathering together his people. It's guaranteed. Verse 39, he will never let them go. Verse 40, he must be believed on, embraced, and enjoyed to have eternal life with God and with God's people. Now, I've been helped by people much wiser than me to try to package the message of the Bible in an understandable, if you would, bite-sized pieces. And one of the best I've ever come across is simply this four-word gospel that uses four words to explain the message of the Bible. And it's pretty simple. Good, bad, new, perfect. Good, bad, new, perfect. Because what the Bible says is that when God made the world... And God made men and women in his image. He looked at it all and concluded, this is very good. And everything flourished under God's loving rule. However, we're not very far into the story of man without realizing that it all went very bad. That the world as we have it tonight is not the world that God created, but the world that men and women have spoiled. It's nothing near what God intended. Because men and women and young people, we have rebelled against God. We've rebelled against his rule, and we've turned our back on one another. And an argument, a fight, a war can happen these days at the drop of a hat, or if you would, a tweet. And that is why we might find ourselves, if we would be very, very honest, saying that things are not really getting better. Sure, we may have a moment or two of better, but loved ones, is our desire so low 
that all we want is a moment or two of better? And you would think that by now we've been able, uh, we'd be able to establish peace, to build security, maybe even banish death. But what happens? As as soon as I read this article from The Spectator about how science may be getting closer to banishing death, the very next article I read was a father who wrote, oh my gosh, that means my son is never going to leave the house now. (laughs) Right? So this badness would almost seem to suggest to us that we need something or someone to really rescue us. And of course, people recognize this, and we would try to fill our lives with all kinds of things. And they honestly help, but they just don't last. So here comes the new. How does God deal with our brokenness? Well, if we try to make sense of Christmas without Easter, it's pretty much impossible. Because the Christmas message that the child was born, the son of God, from a virgin womb, placed in a manger, wrapped up in cloths, ends with the Easter message of Christ wrapped up in cloths in a tomb. And he was in the tomb because he was previously hanging on a cross, the Bible says, for our sins. And so if someone asks the question, why does this good man have to die this way? I thought he was God's son. I thought he was just great. The answer is he died in our place. He died for the very sins that we used to commit and that we still do commit. So that in Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. I want you to think of it this way. Every Monday morning, my job at the house is to clean the whole house. And I have no say in the matter. It's a lovely arrangement, which is what my wife told me to say. But anyway, I use cloths to clean the place. And in all my experience of cleaning, and I have a lot of experience, (laughs) this is what I know, that in order for the house to be clean, the cloths are going to have to get dirty. In fact, you can't make anything clean without something else getting dirty. And the message of Jesus Christ is that he comes And he takes up upon himself all our dirtiness, all the things that maybe only we and God know, and all our longings for wellness and forgiveness and wholeness and friendship and a future which will last forever. And it is there on the cross that the cradle begins to make sense. The good, God made the world right. Everything flourished under his loving rule. The bad, we ruined it in our rebellion. We rejected God's way and we went our own way. The new, Jesus comes to offer us life, eternal life for our rebellion, the perfect. Now remember our song, I don't know how to love him. Here's what will make our Christmas perfect. We come to the place where we can admit, honestly admit that we have rejected God's rule and God's way. And we admit that God in his goodness sends Jesus on a rescue mission to die on the cross for all our badness, for all the badness we have or ever will commit. And this Jesus does everything we should do but can't to put us in the right with God. And if we would just humble ourselves and admit our need of him, he's going to establish it 
us an unbreakable relationship that will not only stand the test of time, but will last for all eternity. Perfect. That's the perfect. You see, the Bible says that we can only love him, Jesus, because he first loved us. And he showed this love by laying his life down for us. I like catechism questions. This is from the shorter catechism. How did Christ humble himself? Listen to what it says. Christ humbled himself wherein he, for our sakes, emptied himself of his glory, took upon the form of a servant in his conception, his birth, his life, his death, and after his death, his resurrection. You understand what they're saying, that not one part of the life of Christ, when he came into this earth, not one part did he not humble himself for us, for our sins. Brian Adams, he's a singer and a songwriter. He has this song that says, everything I do, I do it for you. And you remember how it begins? He says, look into my eyes. You will see what you mean to me. Search your heart, search your soul. And when you find me there, you'll search no more. Don't tell me. You're not worth trying for. You can't tell me. You're not worth dying for. You know it's true. Everything I do, I do it for you. Now, I suspect he wasn't writing about Jesus, but I just read it like it was Jesus. His birth, he leaves heaven at the Father's command for our sins, for you and me. His life lived perfectly, unbelievable devotion to the law and the torment of daily temptation for our sin, for you, for me. His death, bloodshed. So that there could be forgiveness. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin for you and for me. His resurrection to reveal God has power over death and power over sin. His return, which is coming, to gather us up in his arms. Everything I do, I do it for you. It's hard to really ever be mad at Jesus. Over my bed, my wife crocheted for me Zephaniah 317. This is what it says. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you. And the Hebrew word actually means he will dance over you with singing. And he will quiet you with his love. This is why I tell you that. Trusting in Jesus Christ... And living the Christian life, in some ways, is like a beautiful dance. There are some fast songs. There's some slow songs to dance to. There's some sad songs. And there's some glad songs. But in every song, Jesus whispers in our ears, I love you. You are mine. I'm not ever letting go of you. We're together. I promise forever. And maybe, maybe a little peck on the cheek after the dance is over. It's hard to not be changed by this Jesus, by this Jesus. And if we want to partner up with Jesus tonight, it's pretty simple. 
There's something we're going to have to admit. I am broken and I need to be fixed. There's something to believe that Jesus is the only one who can forgive me and fix me. There's something I'm going to have to consider that if I step out and put my life in his hand, everything will change. Everything will change. And then something to do. Bow to him and say, I trust you. I believe you. (laughs) I need you. And let's dance. And Jesus, you lead, and I'll follow. John chapter 6, verse 36. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry, and whoever believes in me shall never be thirsty. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed be his holy name. Now, we, we started with a song. Let's, let's end with the song. It's a wonderful hymn. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea. And I am safe on this solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save, faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Here's my Christmas prayer. I pray that that song is true. For every one of us here and for everyone we know this Christmas, God bless you richly. Thanks for your attention, and let's bow and pray. Our gracious God, we give glory to your name this evening, and we thank you for the miraculous birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his perfect life. We thank you that everything he said and everything that he did was absolutely perfect. There's no one like Jesus, strong to save, the only savior that you present before men and before women and young people. And we pray that this night, by your mighty power, we would all believe on Jesus and let him change us from the inside out and enjoy him and his people forever. Amen.